Do you have the evil hand of Vecna back there? I have the eye and hand of Vecna. Wow. I haven't unboxed it yet because I got to clean my room and find a place for it. But. Are you going to unbox it on camera for um, whatever fucking D&D &D, uh, Once Upon a Tavern? No, everyone's already done that. But Well, you're not, yeah, you're not everyone and everyone isn't you. Hey, if you guys are lucky, today you're going to be able to see my cat in a bandana. Oh. Yeah. He, uh, he got he got groomed today. Wow. And he uh they gave him a bandana. A banana. Nope, a bandana. I don't think cats can eat bananas. Don't know. <clears throat> Never tried. No task. Hey Garris, can you eat bananas? Yeah, I don't know, I never tried. Idiot. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Mark Botker. Jason. I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew's back, for real this time. Oh, and tonight we are talking about the 2021 film Stowaway. Stowaway was written by Joe Pena, Ryan Morrison, and directed by Joe Pena. Starring Anna Kendrick... Daniel Day Kim, Shamir Anderson, and Tony Collette. I will also add right now, uh, music was by Volker Bertelman. Uh, do you guys want a budget? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, $10 million. Wow. Mm -hmm. That might be the lowest budget. No. That's the lowest budget sci-fi movie we've done in a while, say that much. In a while, yeah, but I, it wasn't the thing less expensive. The thing? Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, Star Wars was less expensive than that. Maybe not. That's not oh. true. Star Wars might have been like 20 million. I don't know. That was all that braided space cable. <laughs> <laughs> That's They had to get real braided space cable. That shit's expensive, man. <laughs> you, go mm -hmm. to, you go down to Ace, it's going to cost you a little bit. It's gonna yeah. go. <laughs> I hear they put that shit into space. Yeah, right after this, I'm gonna go to the hardware store and ask for space cable. So it's like a whole roll of it. So can you only buy space cable in space? Because that might explain why it costs so much. Is just getting up to space to buy the space cable is gonna run. No, I got you a guy. A cool I, got, like I got a guy that can five hundred. I got a guy. I got a guy that can hook it up and steal you space cable if you want. Yeah, I got a guy who can sell you a space. Okay, but cable. I don't want like the bootleg space cable. <laughs> You know, I hate it when you, like, they've got those new space shuttles that they're making, and people just sneak right in there and steal all the space cable right out of there. Mm -hmm. God. It's like... That's, that's 2021's shame. version of copper wire. <laughs> yeah. Space cable. Anyway. <laughs> okay, anyways. Ben, tell me what this movie is about. A three-person crew on a two-year mission to Mars discover an accidental stowaway on their ship shortly at, after launch. 
when it's determined that his presence has put the lives of the whole crew in jeopardy. They must come together to make an impossible choice or fight against impossible odds. Alright, so let's just go around the table. Uh, good side for a bad side. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wow. Okay. No, but I, I mean, really, it was a very straightforward movie. Well, yeah. To be totally mm-hmm. honest. I sat there the entire time. Painful I'm like, is there like some sort of, you know, we always say things like thesis or like, what is the message of this movie? And I think I do know what it is, but it's still very on the nose and easy. But um, as you say, Bill, very straightforward from beginning to end. There's. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, True. I, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. It's a it's a big change of pace that there was no, like, main antagonist. The antagonist was the environment, you know? Yeah, which, honestly, that makes for good space movies. We saw Apollo uh, 13. Great fucking movie. No bad guy there. Only good the guys, including Ed Harris. The Martian, yeah, for sure. Also, I've never seen only the Martian. good guys there. Oh, oh, I'll, I'll, add, I'll add Martian to the list. Definitely. Not, we haven't talked about that. It's a good film. Yeah, uh, do you That's also want to really add film. The, the Apollo author, 13? The author of The, yeah, yeah. Of the Martian well, just no. came out with a new book, too. We absolutely will not add Apollo 13 to the list. Like it's not fiction? The Marvin. It's just science. It's not science fiction. It's just science. It, just, it happened. <laughs> you tell me, you're telling me The Martian fact. didn't happen. <laughs> not yet. What, you don't like Forrest Gump in space? It's so good. I love Apollo 13. It unfortunately does not cross over into our niche. I don't know what to tell you guys. It's histor- it's, it's it's historical sci-fi. It would be the equivalent of us sci-fi. doing Remember the Titans. It's just a it would pe- be the just, exact same. It's just a period piece, if anything. I mean, wow. We should do Remember the Remember Titans. Remember the Titans though. didn't take place in space. It, it took place in Tennessee. May as well. Have. What if we do? What if we do a triple <laughs> threat? Check us out. <laughs> I think it was Virginia. Check us out. <laughs> you know, let's do a do- double feature. We'll do Remember the Titans, and then we'll do Titan A.E. Sci-Fi. Ooh, yeah. we should, we should do, do Titan, Titan A.E. anyway. So they're both in the Titan. I think we've talked about throwing Titan A.E. <laughs> on here. The Titanverse. The yeah. Titanverse. Also, Clash the of the Titans, starring Sam. Yeah, we might as well cover Sam Titanfall <laughs> one and two. I mean, I, I'm down for that. Clash of the I mean, Titans. Yeah. We Titanfall only need is to, a great game. We only need to cover Titanfall 2. We don't need to cover Titanfall 1. Agreed. Uh, Titanfall 2, yeah. Because there's no story in Titanfall 1. What? So Titanfall we'll make, doesn't have a story. We'll make our own it's story. just a strictly okay. multiplayer game. Does it not? Have I only played Titanfall 2? Mostly? Probably. <laughs> so Stowaway. Yeah, I was going to say, right off the bat, this movie, I actually loved that opening sequence with the takeoff and everything. I thought that was great. Yes. And... Everything is like close-up personal shots on these people's faces. Um, we see in movies all the time with like takeoffs and stuff like that. Uh, I guess they kind of try to show the stress that is on not just physical, but the mental stress going on these like pilots and crew members. But I felt it this time. That was really intense. Yeah. And like things are clearly going wrong or things aren't going as they should, I should say. But then, like, they get the all clear and everything. Uh, the long know. take. Yeah. The long take really did them well here. It just points out how scary these kind of things are. Well, I mean, the fuel thing was, that was an indication of the extra weight. Yes. The extra, like, 250 pounds, right? They yeah. don't know what went wrong, and then they find out, yeah, once 
Um, Which, so at the beginning is the opportunity for the conflict to not happen. Yep. It's so there. It's it's the signpost on the road warning them to turn back right now. And mm. uh, they fly too close to the sun. Like Icarus. Oh. <laughs> well, one of the things... Which is ironic because they're going to Mars, which is farther from the sun. That's uh, true. <laughs> um, one of the things I was going to say kind of struck me right off the bat with this one. It kind of had that like hard sci-fi-y sort of vibe that we've come across and a few other things we've done. Um, much like with the, the takeoff, the opening scene, it was very real time. So I think it was like 10 or 15 minutes before they actually even get up to the, the other part of the ship, like the habitat. Um, and it was all very kind of real time. One of the things I kind of liked and they came back to it several times was the fact that you don't actually hear mission control. You do in the very beginning. But all the communications going on between Tony Collette's character and, you know, the mission control back on Earth, you don't really hear that other side, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice. Um, but it, it kind of harkened back to me in a more positive light with this film than uh, Voyagers, but I'm going to bring in Voyagers right now. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> the, well, the reason being, so you look at, okay, here's two films that... They're, they're both kind of these, like, not necessarily like what, like bottle films, right? But they're, they're in one location. But I thought this mm -hmm. was, this was that done well because yeah. everything seemed like, you know, it was very utilitarian type ship and, and, and atmosphere and habitat. Everything had a purpose. You could see, you know, all the, the valves on the, you know, all the ethernet cables and everything running down the computer monitors, all the valves, everything kind of had its own, um, you know, purpose on there. It, it wasn't minimalist to a fault. Like I think Voyagers was, but it also wasn't cluttered. It kind of seemed like, oh, this makes sense. And I think one of the things I read too, is that there was kind of a scientific basis, at least in some of the things that they tried to do or explain. Um, I think they had some advisors on this who were uh, scientists or science people. So, you know, can't say that it's completely bulletproof there, but I think they actually put some effort into that. And I think it shows. So mm -hmm. I appreciated the way the movie started. I thought uh, it, it definitely set up uh, an interesting um, backdrop for what was going to happen. I loved I loved how they did artificial gravity. I don't know. That just got to me. Yeah. I thought that was the coolest. It, that's what I was going to bring it, up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that was really great. Um, that extension was still, so good. Yeah. No, I, I love the um, just I, I mean, you talked about it before. This is like a harder sci fi. Everything seems realistic. Everything seems like it's being done. With the science in mind. And definitely like they get up there and then they got to initiate their uh, artificial gravity i thought it's just great and it, it, it is spin gravity yeah that's what they're oh yeah using. yeah i mean yeah. it's a giant centrifuge or whatever it's uh you know but i love that you know it wasn't just because usually what they do is they rotate around like if i had name it z-axis they actually took it around the x-axis sort of thing where the entire ship was yeah. It, yeah i thought that was just freaking cool and you just basically have this you know i don't know <laughs> it was a this cool is, visual too so cool it also makes for a really awesome end sequence when they gotta go up and down that fucking thing so cool i love see okay now that we're nerding out about little details like this i love the fact that you know when she drops something it just shoots off into space because the whole thing is basically just like um shoot a slingshot 
The only know, issue I had with that is it kept falling when it should down. have fallen down and to the left. And to it the should left. have been. It should have. It should have been like a drop, like a rock at first, because of the you know it breaks free from the gravity and just goes flying. But then it should have immediately disappeared mm-hmm. as it continued to spin, and then well, maybe you know, kept look- reappearing and further and further away. Well, since I mean, since it was so, it, it looked like it was about two RPM what what it was rotating at. So yeah, it would have way been out of frame I, after mm-hmm. a few seconds. I love that you guys are talking about this because um, I haven't really listened to it much, but I think I did mention to you guys that uh, Ty Frank and uh, West Chatham have a podcast now where it's like partially them reviewing the Expanse. Uh, Ty Frank is the writer, and West Chatham plays right. uh, Amos. Um, they're partially reviewing the expanse, but they also talk about like a lot of the industry that inspired them, a lot of sci-fi things. Um, but they got on the topic of like the hard science of the expanse. And to this day, like Ty Frank is bothered because there's a super inaccurate thing in season one where a hammer is dropped while they're like working on something. And, uh, it just like flies away, but they're actually like stationary at that moment. So there's no reason for it to fly away as fast as it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're talking about it right now, just something as simple as an object flying away and it's doing it in a way that it shouldn't have, you know? know. Well, it helps, like, I mean, this is realistic sci-fi and just kind of like, you know, that's what cre- keeps it so immersive is that it's not so far off and not, you know, I think it's kind of cool that it actually becomes, the rotation of the ship actually becomes part of the story. And so it's like, so it's like this one little mechanic that, you know, sometimes just written in, you know, it's like, I guess they have to have gravity. There you go. But like, it's like it actually becomes part of the story, which is kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will, <clears throat> I will always enjoy a good 3d printer in sci-fi like this. Cause it's, it's such space. like a, duh, it's so smart. Like it's taking advantage, but I feel like, I never realized before, but I don't think that they've ever, any of the movies that have shown it, have ever actually used the real noises that a 3D printer makes. But if you guys noticed it in this one, it's such a good audio. I don't know if you've ever used a 3D printer or been around when someone was using one, but it sounds so alien and wild. Like, I don't know why a sci-fi piece would not use one. Like, if they're using it in the movie, why they wouldn't have that as a set piece like it's such a it's such like a wild alien sounding machine uh, i love it oh yeah it's great and just the idea that they have a 3d printer as you said mark um that is so star trek that's what like star trek is you're on these long voyages you don't know exactly what you're going to need so you need to have a tool that can make what you need you know they have like the replicators in star trek or whatever you know, a, a technology that doesn't quite exist, but this is that real life, real science version of that, you know, a 3D printer that can print whatever part they need, or in this case, a cast. So yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. Well, and that's the thing we said it too. Like, it, I think that's part of the reason why the setup works because this could be 10 years from now. Yeah. Right. I mean, realistically, you know, there's not that it, it will be you know, not spending money on that type of stuff. Right. But like, it could be. There's nothing that's really that far-fetched, um, which I, I kind of appreciated, at least in the first part of the movie. And uh, w- one of the things I, I just wanted to ask you guys, just because I thought it was kind of a cool um, method or cool way of kind of doing interplanetary travel, is the whole idea that th- the momentum is kind of slingshotting 
from one point to the next because I know that was one of the questions I, I guess I had in them obviously not being able to like stop and turn around like you can't stop and turn around because when you get to Mars right you're you're kind of based on the propulsion your your way of getting home is your propulsion from the colony on Mars back to Earth right so it's kind of like you're you're locked in you're going from yeah. one point to the other right that was kind of cool actually I thought that was really interesting yeah. that they're really not they're not um the, the ship itself isn't necessarily powered. They're kind so of more I reliant actually, on setting a course. Sorry to interrupt, and, but I just really want to say really quick to jump in here because this is a thing. I just wanted to point it out because it's a thing that I looked up. Uh, it's based on the Mars Cycler, which is a real-life project originally pitched by Buzz Aldrin. And it uses mainly gravity-assist flybys as propulsion, and it only has a little, little bit of fuel for course correction. So it's a real thing, and it is a very real thing that once it's on its way to Mars, it ain't coming back till it gets to Mars. So yeah. that's like that's the big thing right now that they're debating on, I guess, is like, is it worth it? Because it's, you know, sometimes you may need to abort, so it's like a big deal. But yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in and say that really quick, sorry. No, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's kind of why I asked the question because I hadn't had a chance to really research beyond just what I saw. So that was kind of my assumption that based on kind of how the physics of that works. But it's it's really cool. I mean, I really can't point to much else I've seen in sci-fi anything that kind of uses that type of propulsion system. So I thought that was kind of cool. And it made for a great image, too. Every time they cut to outside the ship, you just see this thing slingshotting through space, mm -hmm. you know, Um the momentum kind of propelling it forward, but then also serving the purpose of creating that gravity too, artificial gravity. So I don't know. I thought the science of it and the, the imagery of it was, was kind of cool. Well, I'm not going to split hairs, but any of my Kerbal Space Program aficionados, well, <laughs> they took a gigantic rocket and that was all the speed they got out of this whole mission was that gigantic rocket. Mm -hmm. And that just shot them. And then everything else was, you know, that you were free falling the rest of the way. And so it's like very interesting that it's like, well, we created the biggest rocket ever made to do this. So in order for it to catch up, they'd have to make a bigger rocket, which is not possible. So it's like, I, I it's just cool. I don't know. It's awesome. Uh, by the way, um, in case you guys want to know the reason and it is so accurate is because they actually did have an astrophysicist on hand, which I feel like most movies like this would do that but maybe they gave this guy a bigger microphone than he normally would have on production. And, you know, cause normally it's like, okay, well I get that you want to do that, but it doesn't look as good on camera kind of thing. Right. Um, right. But yeah, if you guys want to know, the guy's name is Scott Manley. Damn. Oh, Scott Manley did it. Yeah. Scott Manley so did it. So he's a I Scottish American YouTuber, personality, gamer, oh. programmer, uh, astrophysicist, oh, and Manley. DJ. <laughs> fucking love scott manley <laughs> dj he, like literally i talked about i talked about kerbal space program he literally just like builds entire projects in kerbal space program and just like this is how this would actually work hmm. and i freaking love that guy scott manley you should look him so, up oh yeah he was he, he was, was the uh the official um oh, so funny good. thing they just picked him for his name they didn't even know he had all those qualifications <laughs> that guy sounds cool yeah manley mm -hmm. yeah get him in here yeah. So uh, okay. You guys are um, go nuts for Manly Wade Wellman. Oh. So yeah, as we uh, as we said, the uh, the enemy was the environment the the entire time. Um, you know, they find like uh, Michael on the ship. I believe is the character's name, right? 
Yeah. They find Michael, and I love that this crew instantly just starts to liking him. You know, he's just got this really warm, charming personality that it's kind of like the little brother that they they always wanted. But they quickly find out that they obviously can't keep him on the ship because, um, well, the ship was designed for two, right? They keep emphasizing that. Yeah. And uh, so three was pushing it. This is my favorite aspect of it all because uh, I, you know, as much as privatizing space travel is like is like touted as a good thing this because it most- means we can actually start making progress because governments won't invest in space travel anymore. This is the downside, right? This is the downside. Uh, well, this is the downside of privatizing space travel because it's all about uh, cutting costs and and pushing the limit just to just to make a name, just to say we did. Oh well, two is the safe aspect. Two is what would what NASA would do because there is no reason to strip the shielding on that ship to add a third when two can do the job. There's, it's no reason for it at all. But, but a private company does it because it's, it's renowned. It looks good, you know. It pushes the limit. It pushes it further. And so the fact, and then of course the whole thing that like everything that's going wrong is Hyperion's fault. There, there are checks and balances to making sure that launch technicians are not within the space of the rocket when. <laughs> yeah. The rocket rocket launches, but mm-hmm. because they were cutting costs, because they were cutting time, and they were trying to get that shit out of here so that they can look good for their investors, they missed him. It, it's an accident. It's an accident, absolutely, but it's an accident that was 100% preventable by the people in charge. And so while this is, is truly a, a human versus nature story, this is also a, a human versus corporation story as well. Uh, because they're the ones who who caused all of this, and I yeah. love that. Yeah, that That's is cool. awesome. Yeah, you're right. Because I mean, it's like you have uncaring space that you're to- toying with. Space doesn't care if you exist; mm-hmm. it just is. And so it's like, and you're not supposed to exist there. So you try to toy with things that should not be toyed with. And like, like you said, like at the very beginning is the you know is the should we abort should we abort and that is exactly what happens is that like now we can we can swing it you know we got enough people we can swing it and you know honestly it burned more fuel which would have given them more oxygen to survive so because this oxygen was liquid oxygen that they were pumping from the rocket then they would have had more liquid oxygen when they needed it so the yeah. entire the entire mission is plagued with with bad decisions just to push the mission forward rather than pu- keeping the, the the safety and the lives of the crew in mind in the the entire time not just the crew on the ship but the the crew on the ground you know like who knows what else they could have missed probably nothing but who knows there could have been someone down below the rocket engines when they launched we don't know clearly they don't have their shit in order so you know it's just one of those things well it's like i think i i don't know when you said this ben it was it was a while ago but like you said it was something along the lines of you can be utilitarian about human life and say this is what we need to do to make this happen which is what you know um dr kim was saying 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, he was the utilitarian. And then there's this aspect of, say, like humanism or something where you, you know, do the next good thing, you know, save the next person that needs to be saved without thinking like, well, if we save one person, then three people are going to die. You just save that person as soon right. as you can. You don't think about that. And so it's like, so that's what Anna Kendrick was. And then, um, and yeah, and so it's like, there's all these sorts of stances that come about and then just basically fulfilling duty for the good of all, you know? Absolutely. Tony Tony Collette, Tony Collette, right? Yeah. Zoe's my favorite character in in this movie. And I've been elevated personally to one of my favorite sci-fi characters. Like this absolute selfless person who's like, it doesn't fucking matter. We we have 10 days. We take 10 days. We are going to figure this shit out. This isn't a question. You know, like, we got to do something. Because one way or another, he's going to die. So let's make sure that we, we've we covered every base. And yeah. I, I love her. I was, I, I, it was such, she's such a good character. Something. Well, uh, oh, good. Thanks. I'll be quick. <clears throat> Something that really surprised me that I, I thought I saw coming and then they didn't do. Um, <clears throat> they talked about keeping the information from him um, as they. You know, people on the ground and the people on the ship tried to work out some kind of method to make up for their lost resources. And then they had the scene where Anna Kendrick, uh, Zoe and Michael are in, they're in the, um, you know, the, the closed off chamber, seeing if they can salvage the unit. And he spouts off all the information about the engineering changes they made. And he had mentioned that he was an engineer before and everything. But I thought that was kind of a telling moment of his intelligence. He had been a very personable guy before, but he hadn't talked much about his uh, you know, qualifications beyond saying he was an engineer with Hyperion. So I thought that was that we were kind of leading towards like, oh, we should bring him into this and maybe he has like an insight. And I thought they were going to have that breakthrough and they just they just kind of didn't do it. I really thought that was going to happen. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. And I mean, there's also the fact that like, I, I actually made this weird equivalence just because we watched 2001, a space odyssey recently. I mean, like Hal 9,000 killed everybody to survive. Whereas Michael was willing to immediately sacrifice himself. Mm-hmm. Well, it was not immediate, everybody. but there's definitely a conflict there. He's psyching himself up for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was going to do it. He would do it. Like that's the point. There's reasonable hesitation in killing himself, but he was going to do it. Yeah. There was not a question in whether he was going to do it or not. I think he was just preparing himself for it because it's not an easy thing to do when when you aren't depressed. I mean, it's well. Well, he's thinking like, you know, it, if I were in his shoes, I'd be thinking like, what do I have to do before I go? What do I have to do? I have to talk to my sister. I have to leave her a message and make sure she's well off, you know? So. Uh, Yeah. What I was going to kind of bring up there too, as we're talking about characters and kind of what Ben was um, talking about before Mark uh, started there. I thought it was interesting (laughs) that. I don't mean that in a bad way. Before Mark, before Mark jumped in and interrupted me, uh, you know. Uh, no, but no. Uh, <laughs> just I thought it was refreshing on the character side that 
all the characters were fairly realistic. They're fairly logical, I think, in terms of how you would process the situation that was happening, you know, to them. But one thing that was interesting to me, and it kind of almost harkens back to the discussion we had on Underwater, that the, the characters themselves were very, in, in a way, kind of very selfless, especially Zoe's character, kind of willing to just do the right thing. Or as Ben said, you know, we got 10 days. Okay. We're taking the 10 days. We got to figure it out. There really wasn't a lot of hesitation there. And there really wasn't a lot of like, you get that kind of like selfish streak. I feel like in characters where they start questioning their mortality or like, Oh shit, I'm, this is, you know, I'm going to die or this is going to be the end. I think the reason that like Zoe's character and, and you saw even shades of it with Kim, especially when they went on the, uh, the EVA, you know, and they, they went out to go get the oxygen canisters, just that, yeah, let's do it, you know, and it, this could be the end of us and we could all die from this and, you know, it could be a spectacular failure, but let's, let's do it, you know? So, so I, I thought that was, it kind of spoke to the humanistic sort of message. I think that's one of the underlying themes of the movie that they were really prepared to do that and ultimately did, you know, in one way, shape or form. Well, to be fair, they had no choice at that point. Well, so, you know, it's like they were utilitarian. They were just like, yeah, throw Michael out. You know, at least Kim was. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, they didn't have a choice at that point. Their their back was against the wall. So Daniel Day Kim's character, David Kim, so I guess we just say Kim for both here. Um, I th actually loved his character. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a, a massive fan of Daniel Day Kim. Um, I like how they his character evolved because we all like to think we're going to be the Anna Kendrick character. We're all going to be um, Zoe, who's like right away, oh no, we got to save this guy. We got to save Michael. We can all survive and make it. But realistically, we aren't in that situation. The biggest fear that everyone has, most people, is dying. And when you're put in that situation, you're going to start making choices and decisions that are going to, A, help you survive, and then B, you know, he's thinking of Tony needs to be there because if he's going to survive, uh, Tony Collette's character has to survive. She's the pilot, all right? Um, and then he's also thinking about his research, you know, the reason that he's sacrificing years of his life right now, leaving his wife, his, his whole life behind, was to do this mission and for him he's just thinking logically um it's his life or michael's so uh, i i get it that's a very realistic approach i think half the people here would probably have made that choice yeah and i never once blamed him at all no and i don't think anyone did because even like when he was talking to michael later on it was uh i'm sorry about that before and michael's like we're fine it's fine. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like coming out of a situation. It's kind of like the, uh, it's kind of like the uh, bond that sort of, you know, brothers in arms, you know, sort of people that go to battle together. They just kind of like, like we get it. You know, that sort of situation doesn't happen in real life and we live through it. And so it's like, I get it. You know, you had to do what you had to do, but like, um, but like to to go to you know Anna Kendrick Zoe's care Zoe, it's just like, you know, it's kind of it it seems kind of naive in a lot of ways, um, 
But at the same time, that's kind of like what we would all go through is that like, okay, someone's life is on the line. Then we do every single thing, no matter what the percentage is. You know, if it's a 1% chance of success, we do it. You know, it's like, and it's like, you know, we save the next person. And it's like, I, I mean, that's, that's how, what I was thinking the whole time before Anna Kendrick said it was like, well, the dude's going to die. You do everything you can to prevent that. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, that, that was, and I think that was a, a pretty pivotal scene when they had that conversation. And then she basically said, like, just to paraphrase, like, well, the alternative is if all this fails and they can't come up with a way to, you know, get us out of this and we can't come up with a way, like, this is a man's life, you know, we're going to take it. I think she used that word, like, we're going to take a man's life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just the way that she worded it and everything else like that, I think really highlighted the gravity of the situation. So, no, I totally agree with you, Bill. They very, I mean, they very uh, specifically the, kept wording it in less, uh, you know, painful to normalize ways. Like, you know, when we have to take the the next step or the last step, I think he said. Like, they, they kept phrasing it in ways, and she's like, no, we're killing a man. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, we're yeah. taking his life. Yeah, absolutely. It's to dis- distance yourself from the ugly truth. You know, it's like, and it's, you feel it as soon as they realize what they have to do, that they distance themselves from quote unquote, the problem, Michael. And so they're just like, you know, I think of him less as a person, more as a problem that needs to be solved. And so it's like, and so it's like, it's like that it's the human way of doing violence is we don't, we don't think of other people as human beings when we commit violence upon them. And so it's like. And I mean, that's that the whole story is about uh, mortality. I mean, that's really that's really what everything is about, is it's a story about facing mortality in a way that is. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's basically facing mortality in our own ways. No, it's very. I think it's about it's it, I, I think the story is simply about being human to other humans. Right. You know, like. It's it's not it, you know Anna Zoe sacrifices her life at the end of this not because she you know it's the right thing to do yeah sure but it also makes the most sense in that final moment where you know okay commander would do it if she could it makes the most sense for Tony Collette's character to do it if she could but she broke her arm she's so also she the only one it. that could pilot the ship so and she's the only one who could pilot the ship uh though at the point of coming back to earth you're kind of just falling um <clears throat> they're still going to mars then baby. of course michael can't do it we've discovered and despite the fact that as much as he might want to try and do it to sacrifice himself he's gonna fail that's what it comes down to. So it's a combination. Zoe, what she does really at the end of it all is she combines the ideologies between her and Kim. You know, there's the utilitarian system where she's like, yeah, he can't do it. And honestly, she said, and then there's the human- humanitarian side of it all where she decides Kim can't do it because he has a family get- to get back to. It's kind of implied that Zoe's on her own. You know, she probably has parents, of course, but, like, you know, she doesn't have, like, a family who's waiting for her at home. She doesn't have a sister. She doesn't have a wife. You know, she's... And so she combines these two ideologies to just make the only rational decision, 
which is to save three people They'd, with the cost of one life. To And she, if she has to be the one to make the decision of whose life is going to be taken to save three others, then she's going to put her own life on the line because that's what a good person does. They didn't. You don't. You don't tell someone else that their life is going to be taken. She's going to give her life up. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I, uh, apart from the fact that she's also the ship doctor, like that's kind of in their, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Doctrine. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> Doctor David Kim also couldn't really. They kind of showed that he couldn't do it. Like he True. was. He that's was getting him. exhausted on the way up, and on the way down, like. I also don't think that he would have been able to do the trip. She saw that as well. Can I, can I also say that my biggest fear when he was coming down to the counterweight was that he was going to throw up in his suit mm. because he throws up every time he adjusts to gravity. And mm. I was like, oh, God, they're going to make him throw up in his suit, and that's going to be what goes wrong. <laughs> and it didn't happen. I was like, thank God, because I don't know if I would have been able to handle that. Mm -hmm. That would have been too I bad. I think Scott Manley was really pushing for it, too. He's like, look, the guy throws up every time gravity shifts. Clearly, he's going to puke right now. They're like, Scott, we don't, ha we can't do that right now. There are, not, some things that are the just too, there are some things that are just too awful. Scott, Scott, budget. Scott just started going, who? I heard that was who? the moment where Scott actually stormed out of the production and didn't come back. The crew is like, like Scott, you got to stop that. making that noise. We're, we're all going to go. Once one person goes, we're all going to go. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> well, I want to go back to like, I feel like, you know, I'm starting to, the, my idea of this movie is starting to evolve as we're talking about it. And so, like, that's usually how like, it goes, Bill. <laughs> was that? Wait you, wait, you guys didn't walk away from this going, this was a masterpiece? Really? I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a great movie. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I was, okay, I was going to say, I was like, mm -hmm. damn, all right. Anyway, um, so, yeah, so I, um, so my idea of this movie is, like, evolving as I'm thinking about it. Because I feel like, because, because, you know, Dr. Kim it has good aspects about it but he's missing the humanity, right? Is that like, you know, there's there's a certain amount of humanity that might be missing there. And I don't even think he's missing humanity. I no. think I think people like Zoe have a trait, like have a trait on top of things that we should all aspire to have. You know, he's not missing something. He is as he is as human as anyone else. Mhm. Mm no, and I, I don't mean to say that. I mean I, there's a certain aspect of Zoe, like you said, that uh, you know, has a different priority. And She's so it's extraordinary. Like, right, right. Exactly. So, so there's, ah, God, now I lost the point. Okay. Sorry. I'm so, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, but, uh, I, <laughs> cool vibe in here. Um, but, uh, no, I, uh, no, but so, so Zoe kind of represents like the good person, right? The, the person that is going to say, like you said earlier, if anybody's going to be sacrificed, it's going to be me. And it's like the idea of, okay, if you would, you know, put yourself in front of a bus to save your kid, then you can do everything that you can to prevent the bus from hitting your kid. I don't know. There's, there's just this idea that's coming to the top. That's frothing to the top for me that like, you know, basically you can apply this principle to more aspects of your life and it would make humanity overall a better place to be. So it's like, well, isn't, as a doctor, isn't part of the Hippocratic oath to do no harm? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, the Hippocratic Absolutely. oath. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, uh, <laughs> well, no, that makes sense. I mean, maybe she actually just took that oath super seriously. 
That's her thing. Yeah, no. But she did. She took that seriously before she was a doctor. I mean, when she was a you know a non lifeguard, maybe that's why she, she would, became a doctor. May, well, maybe that's part of her, and it's not because of the Hippocratic oath. You know, she she you know she um you know saw parts of the Hippocratic oath in herself already. She's like, the good doctor. Doctors don't doctors don't like pick up a gun and they're about to shoot someone and they go, oh, I'd shoot you if it wasn't for this damn That would make, that would make a great fucking scene in a movie, though. You know, you know when I got my degree, I, I, they said I couldn't do this. But you killed my wife and daughter. You know, if, if Northwestern heard about this, I would never hear the end of it. <laughs> they don't call me Oathbreaker for nothing. <laughs> the surgeon. The surgeon. Oh my god. This summer. This summer on NBC. All right. Um. So yeah, obviously, uh, we're like right there. Um, Zoe goes out. Uh, clearly getting the radiation poisoning. I like that they actually kind of show some of the effects on her her uh, face as she's. That's act. Sorry. What were you gonna say? I was just going to say that I, I actually learned – I've read a lot of – I haven't read a lot about this, but I've looked up a bit. Uh, that's the, like, the only, like, like science boo-boo. Like, it how wouldn't quickly have, it wouldn't have it. showing the re- – mm-hmm. that and I realized taken, that it, we wouldn't – It would have been weeks of agonizing pain And we her. wouldn't be seeing the uh, – The radiation. The radiation. That happens. Don't get me wrong. When uh, that radiation hits the planet – um, and it hits our atmosphere, and I think it's because of the poles, right? The magnetic poles causes, um, like, ionize, yeah. Yeah, it, it causes the northern lights, um, and there are southern lights too, right? I believe. Uh, I don't know. I don't go down there ever. I don't know. No one ever goes down there. <laughs> I get them all in Lowell down here. <laughs> yeah, you're so far south. Northern lights, southern, southern lights, southern east, lights, west lights, but, street but, uh, lights. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't be seeing it, but I, I appreciate the what they were trying to to show with the uh, yes the solar winds. Yes, Can I play devil's advocate? Fuck me up, no. fam. Oh no, I, I just wanted to kind of get your guys' take. So the the number one criticism I've seen levied at this movie is that it's a slow burn, right? You know, it's a slow burn movie. It's uh, it's very kind of focused on being a character piece and character study, and you know, we have these kind of different aspects of humanity and different aspects maybe of a lack thereof that the movie tries to kind of grapple with and ultimately come to this thesis that we've talked about at length here, right? So I was okay with that. I think we all enjoy, um, you know, and have enjoyed kind of some of these more slow burn, arty movies, you know, hard sci-fi movies. Uh, We had our dad Astras, you know, and our 2001s and whatnot. So that didn't really bother me. But the only time I kind of caught myself like, come on was when you know she was descending the space cable trademark and uh you know then drops the oxygen and then it's a solar storm it just seemed to me like kind of a a bit of a deus ex machina out of nowhere i understand you have to raise the stakes somehow and i actually watched it with jess and she goes well if you were if you were writing it what would you have done and I'm like, well, you got me there. I, I, don't, I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> but that was the only time during the movie where I was just kind of like, uh, you know, I just kind of hoped that maybe they would have come to some other, I don't know, some other sort of end of the conflict there or whatever. And and I've seen that in some of the reviews. Now, granted, 
critic reviews have been very positive of the movie overall. I think if you go on like Rotten Tomatoes, it's like 76 or 75 or something like that. But it's interesting that a lot of the viewer reviews, for what it's worth, are a lot lower on IMDb and, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and a lot of... It's almost like the general audience is filled with a ton of idiots. <laughs> but I was just curious. I mean, my overall opinion in the movie, and I will probably segue here in our good sci-fi, bad sci-fi, my overall opinion in the movie as a movie was very positive, um, which it sounds like you guys were kind of all of the same mind, but... Uh, I don't I think Andrew liked it at all. Curious what... No, he definitely didn't. I can tell. What Andrew didn't say a lot. This episode, which means he didn't like it. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just bored. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, Jason, you don't even have to play devil's advocate. Like, it's just, I was, I was bored. I mean, I was, I didn't think the movie was dumb or or poorly made. It just didn't, just didn't do anything for me. It was just boring. And it's funny that you bring up Ad Astra because I loved Ad Astra. I, I, I felt like they did, um, did this kind of like perilous space journey way better you know what i mean yeah but well i mean to be to be fair it is a very straightforward thing you know it's like here's the problem here are the people trying to solve yeah, the problem well, it's a, yeah it's a netflix movie they can't really do a lot i mean netflix didn't make the movie for the record netflix no i get that but it's yeah but like i don't know it just i it didn't it just didn't do a whole lot for me just didn't do anything for me well didn't have brad pitt in it so that's true. Hey, I know, but we, and I, we you know, Daniel I mean, Dave Anna Kendrick can't want, uh, prop up the whole movie. And Jason, I did want to say I do agree with you on your opinion on the final sequence. Uh, I when they announced the solar storm, I I gave a very loud and mm-hmm. audible, "Oh come on!" Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. there were a million things they could have done yep. to to make it go bad, and I knew it was going to go bad because there's no there's no way this movie couldn't could have ended without loss. Uh, and I was just like, I just, I just wish it was something like a little bit more reasonable because I do agree. It was a bit out of nowhere. Maybe they could have taught, maybe they could have encountered a solar storm earlier and they could have mentioned that, you know, I don't know. Like, the sun is more active now because, uh, we, we did something or I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have the answer. You're right. Cause I don't know what I would have done better if I sat down and thought about it for a bit. I could maybe come up with something. Maybe, maybe Kim threw up in his suit and fell off. I think that might have been a better situation. Well, at least it would have been a bit more organic, I think, with where the story went. I mean, would it have been goofy? Absolutely. But, you know, it would have made a little bit more sense. I just thought, like, they went through all this trouble and they literally showed, you know, probably a good shit. I'd say, what, at least 20 minutes of the last third of the movie was them climbing up the damn space cable they get to the other side. They get the oxygen. Oh, hey, okay, cool. Oh, we can only fill the one tank. We're heading back. You know, they're rushing, they're rushing. Then she drops it. Okay, fine, whatever. You know, because they're rushing back for the solar storm. It's like they did it. They And, and the way they, I thought it was pretty masterful the way they built up the ultimate success that they had. You know, like they, they just showed this, it's such a harrowing, like, journey to climb that space cable and get to the other side and then get to the oxygen and it's like so triumphant and you're like yeah that's good and then just the way that the carpet or the rug was kind of pulled out from under the audience i thought was kind of 
like Ben and I were saying, I think just kind of unfair for the situation. Like, come on, really? Like the, the reason <laughs> the reason you never have that had that reaction in like The Martian, for example, which is a movie filled with one bad situation after the next, is because those bad situations make sense. It's it, he, you know, he's plugging holes in a dam. He puts his finger in one hole in the dam, and two more pop up because everything's about to burst, and it makes sense. You see the crack. You see the connection of where that happens you know like uh the the thing i think of that like I, i've heard people complain about at times in the past is like when he when he creates his he's he's going hot he's got his potato farm he fucks up the the uh the airlock i think it is because it's been for so long since i've seen it and it blows the whole place to bits and it's because he is running on so little sleep and has been stressed and has grown a little comfortable as well has been making mistakes like uh, that stuff makes sense but when you just throw a solar storm into the mix and you're like it, it, it feels like the writer was playing god and was just like yeah and uh fuck this crew well for for one thing i guess we could take the martian off the list now uh <laughs> no i'm just, well, I'm, just I'm, I'm just kidding i'm just you gotta kidding. compare it <clears throat> no I'm, I'm i know uh so i disagree with you guys entirely i think it would have been way too obvious for one of them to be lost out there. That is the the go-to danger situation for for sci-fi, new sci-fi like space set movies. The uh-oh, some external thing happened. We have to go outside. Who are we going to lose now? That's the tension. So I I actually loved the fact that they made it out there. They did most of what they were supposed to do, what they set out to do, got back, and they both made it in, like, 100% safely, but it, at the cost of literally everything they went out there to do. So they sat, they, they put in danger themselves, the solar panels, the oxygen, like, <clears throat> they put all of these things at risk to save everyone, and they survived but literally at the cost of having to do all of that again, risk the solar panels and the electricity and all that again, and, you know, knowing they would even still lose someone. Like, I, I thought that was an interesting device, an interesting turn as well. well That's thought- all great. It's just, sorry, Bill, I, I just have one quick thing. That's all great. It's just, I think Jason and I are saying that the solar storm is what was not great. They could have come up with something else, I think. that Because it, it's just out of normal. Or they could have set up for the solar storm earlier on. I was going to say, yeah. That, if they had said, like, you have this much time because of that, but David was tired and needed the break. And uh, mm-hmm. it was like, well, if we go too fast, we could lose our oxygen tank. So we'll take the break. Yeah. And then it well, caused them to lose the oxygen tank anyway. Yeah, I, I don't think it ultimately sapped the message. I think the movie still said what it wanted to say. So it's not like it necessarily derailed it and it, it ended in, you know, in flames. I just thought it, it got to where it wanted to go. But that was the one thing to me that just felt kind of awkward in the movie. You know, I could look past it being kind of a slow burn, being a slower movie. It's two hours long. You feel every minute of those two hours. But. I was cool with that. That was the only kind of stretch of the movie where I was just kind of like, oh, but that's it. I mean, it still said what it wanted to say, and I thought it did it effectively. Bill was saying something, and I interrupted him. Oh, no, you're good. I was just going to say that I like what Mark was saying, and I agree with what you guys are saying. I feel like the introduction of the solar storm is kind of weird because uh, 
I would think that they had some sort of way of detecting that earlier. Maybe I don't know anything about solar storms, but, um, but also, so although, you know, whatever basis, you know, whatever conflict that creates, it was still a choice, you know, it was still a choice by a character to deal with it rather than just randomly losing somebody to the environment. It was a choice to confront the environment in a way that is self-sacrificial. So I thought that's kind of cool how it turned. So, you know, it's like the solar storm coming out of nowhere might be kind of lame. You know, it's kind of just like a, okay, story device, boom, right there. And that's the kind of conflict. But what happened because of it is cool. So the fact that Anna, oh, sorry, Zoe decided, finally, I get to make the decision. I'm going to sacrifice myself rather than Michael, rather than killing a man. You know, I, I get to be in the position of I sacrifice myself for the crew with no other decision to make because that's the right thing to do. I like that. I do. And I, do I like that. And I do it willingly walking into it. And I will do it with a smile and enjoy my view as I die. I would also like to say I've read <clears throat> one of the, you know, ooh, uh, sci-fi goofs kind of things that I've read was that a system so critical like the, um, you know, the carbon dioxide scrubber the, why wouldn't they have a you know backup like what, a redundant system? But well, but well, but at the at the same time, in the same way as we're talking about, like oh, some kind of a uh, an array that could detect a solar storm. We've been talking this whole time about it being a pared down. They're cutting all of the fat off of the ship to save money at every corner. Maybe that's why there's only one. CO scrubber or you know carbon dioxide scrubber maybe there is no array to detect solar storm because they figured everyone should be inside the whole time why would we need to put this thing on there if they're safe on the inside like maybe all of these things I know it it could just seem like oh that's convenient but I think that's pretty interesting way to look at it I mean yeah Yeah, you're right you're right because I mean there's no way like let's say NASA or something like Ben was saying earlier wouldn't have a redundant system for a carbon di- carbon dioxide scrubber. There is no way that they wouldn't have a redundant system for that. But when you add a third person onto a trip for the cool factor, I mean, you know, you do things to sacrifice for that, which might be having a redundant system for a carbon dioxide scrubber. Yeah, and there's no way that could go wrong. The only way you could lose this carbon dioxide scrubber is if, I don't know, uh, someone were, be, were to stow away in this panel. <laughs> uh, and then once the gravity was initiated, they just fell out and ripped this hose out. It would cause a short. But the chances of that happening are slim to none because we definitely have redundancies for ensuring all the crew is out of there before launch, right? The chances of that happening are astronomical. Yes, we are going to have that. When do we launch again? <laughs> Tomorrow. Well, I thought the angle that they were going to take with that early on was uh, with the food. Because, you know, when they're talking about, oh, your coffee mug Mm -hmm. weighs 800 grams, I'm thinking, well, they have food enough for a fourth person, even if they were rationing. You know, I thought they're they're cutting it really close. They didn't really ever, you know, that didn't become a thing. It became obviously like the life support system that really drove the the main conflict there. But uh, but yeah, I mean. As we're saying, you know, it, it really kind of when, when you pare down those things and you don't plan for contingencies or what could happen because you're not, you know, looking that far ahead or don't care or don't have the wherewithal to do it um, or the 
resources to do it financial or otherwise that's what happens and i'm sure a million other things could have and would have gone wrong should they figure out their oxygen situation there you know uh, the first of all just so you all know i don't know if anyone knows this but this was originally pitched as the beginning of a trilogy oh. way back when oh mm-hmm. and uh he he pitched this in 2015 as the beginning of a trilogy uh they they said no thank you but the second movie in this trilogy was going to be Penna's uh, 2018 release, Arctic, only instead of it being the Arctic, it was going to be set on Mars. And that is the story of a man who is crashed and stranded with only a pilot, and he has to drag his pilot across the Arctic or something. So that I, I read an article, and it's like, that basically may give us a... We don't know how much was retooled, of course, but that may give you a hint on how things went for the rest of the crew. Like, yeah. you know, things did not get better from there, I think, is the point. Things would have only gotten worse. Now that it's a standalone movie, we can, we can be happy and just maybe hope that things went better. But uh, I think in a real world, things would have just continued to get worse. Realistically, yeah, probably. Because what if someone but, gets hurt? Who's gonna fix but this, them? But this this is a movie like Bill said about about sacrifice and mortality. So, in order to assume that Zoe's sacrifice was not in vain, we are going to say that they they made it to Mars, slung shot back, and said never going to do that again. All right. So the question stands: Was this good sci-fi, or was this bad sci-fi? Mark, take it away. Take it away. Uh, I'll do something with it. Shit. Oh, such good sci-fi. I can't. I mean, oh man, I have no gripes with this film. Honestly, like zero. Loved it, start to finish. Enjoyed, enjoyed watching it. Enjoyed the ambiance, the acting, the writing, the science. I literally don't. I can't think of a single flaw. That I was like, man, this really like irks me about the movie. I don't know. I just everything was good. Everything the, fell into place for me. The score was on fleek as well. You might as well just throw oh, that yeah. out there. Oh yeah, I like the score. Jason was like, there were there were moments where I was like, all right, this this sounds like someone's listened or watched a lot of like 2010 era sci-fi and is like. Oh, I could do that. <laughs> there were there were certain points I was like, "Oh, there's the spooky violin." Okay, and uh, yep, uh-huh. yeah. It. I actually didn't didn't love 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 the soundtrack. Now that you mention it, all right. Yeah, I thought it was good. There were certain points I liked it, but there were certain points where I literally was like, "All right, <laughs> I get it." Space. <laughs> I, I I feel like you should say that the entire time during this movie i get it space all right <laughs> thank you mark uh jason yeah um i thought this was solid sci-fi you know i, I thought it was a, a a solid movie um i didn't think it was incredible but i i didn't think it was bad by any means and especially coming off of uh the last few things that i think we've discussed it was good it, it was a very lean movie I keep kind of coming back to that lean of kind of performance, lean of message, lean of the, the actual visuals. You know, it was, uh, but by design, I think that was the intent. Um, but I feel like it it kind of hit all the 
story beats that it wanted to hit. It, it hit the themes, the major themes it wanted to hit. And uh, although I did have a few gripes that we kind of talked about at length, I didn't think, as I said before, it was enough to really derail the movie. Um, so ultimately didn't hurt it as much as I think some other catastrophic, uh, you know, end of movie things have done for other films we've covered in the past. So yeah, solid sci-fi. All right. Thank you, Jason. Uh, ben Young. Great sci-fi. It joins the ranks of, of movies like Underwater in the terms of chaotic good sci-fi, uh, you know, espousing humanitarian themes and human humanistic themes um, in, in using its genre to do that. Uh, it's the definition of a movie that makes you feel human and makes you think about what it means to be human. And, you know, while it's not an Oscar winner in any way, it is 100% a great sci-fi film and is rivaled this year so far only by Psycho Gorman. Back to you, Colin. <laughs> Psycho Gorman. Uh... Which we will be revisiting now that I have my... Hang on. Wait for it. He's showing us something. Please. My hunky boy ultimate edition. I'm so sad that I missed that, that episode. Because you sent that trailer to us, and I I watched the trailer, and I was like, no, no, no. This can't be... And I watched it again, I'm like, I want to watch this so bad, but I just it's could not make it to that episode. Well, you should you watch still need it to watch anyway, it regardless, because it's fucking awesome. And we can... We can I'll bring over my hunky boy ultimate edition one of these days. Oh yeah. Or we can make or we can make Saturday a double feature. Who knows? Uh, I don't that All day. Time. You guys come over with your PJs at eight AM. We'll do uh, mimosas go, and it'll be like Christmas morning. I gotta go watch a uh, Pearl Jam cover band, so I don't think I can I can't make it. Look at you going to live music, you crazy bastard. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. that's, well that's well that's one way of saying I'd I'd like to do absolutely <laughs> fucking anything else. Yeah, seriously. Um, okay. Uh, Appreciate I it, Mark. up next is Bill Germs. Okay, um, I'd say it's good sci-fi. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the themes. I like <clears throat> I like slow, slow burner. I don't like, you know, when there's a lack of... When things happen just to happen, uh, everything in here seemed like it had a purpose, and I, I liked that. And it was minimalistic on the cast and set, which is nice. Um, it was a it was one hallway, though. I do have to say that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, and um, and I definitely would rather watch this than go to a Pearl Jam concert. So, <laughs> um, okay, thank you, Andrew. I didn't like the movie. Um. I mean, it was fine sci-fi, but yeah. I thought it was good sci-fi. I love it when uh, uh, the production goes through efforts to make it as realistic as possible. Actually consider how everything goes. Usually all you have to do is consult a scientist or three. And scientists love to talk about their shit. So yeah, just talk to a scientist more often. Um, I, I'm okay with like a super unrealistic movie just as long as you're not trying to make it like you're trying to do realistic sciencey things and like eh, it doesn't work with the plot so we're just going to do this instead no i mean try as much as you can to make it realistic i i appreciate that so thank you to this movie um i enjoyed the movie the entire time i do see what you guys are saying at the end with like oh come on the solar so i get all that and 
those are very valid criticisms, but at the end of the day, I don't think it really derails the movie at any point or hurts it. I thought it was pretty good. So yeah, there it is. Stowaway. That is our take on it. Uh, if you guys haven't already, you listeners at home, make sure you watch Blade Runner 2049 because we're going to fucking come at you with that shit. Finally, after what, four years, three years? Ten years, a decade. Feels like it. Jeez. We should have waited until 2049 to do it. Yeah. Do you guys want to do <laughs> in 2049, like, revisit it? I'll be dead, so. Sure. <laughs> And get ready, because this is going to be a movie that Miller loves. Maybe. No, you're going to love it. It's, it's Miller, if you don't like this movie... Uh... I don't like evil Miller. Miller, turn, turn yeah, the lights evil on. Evil Miller's turn, not turn, turn the lights on. <laughs> it's 8 p.m. Yeah, so, oh, so he's in a dark room, and all we can see is... I don't like Phil Collins' uh, no jacket. All we can see is the glow of his face on the camera. Everything else is just pure black. Um... But yeah, so next time, yeah, 2049, I think the the Sci-Fi Boys, <laughs> for the first time in a long time, are going to get together and watch it. Um, so that'll be pretty fun. Uh, I, so, I'm, bringing, I'm bringing my girlfriend, Anna DeArmas, oh. in my dreams. Okay. I got I, a charcuterie board. Ooh, charcuterie. I'm just trying to I'm trying to sway Mark into oh. abandoning his Pearl Jam so plans. We'll have, so we'll have the charcuterie as accoutrement. <laughs> I, now you guys are getting too fancy. I gotta dip out. Um I actually did a double take when we were talking about doing this movie because I could have sworn we did it already. I thought we did it too. We all we went to the did. movies. We all like went together and watched the movie. Yeah. Jason's sister came. Like mm-hmm. we we made a big event of all going and yeah, seeing the day it. it. Came. I out. was like, wait, yep. we didn't. We didn't. We were do the podcast? we were on podcast hiatus at the time uh, because I I quit and you guys don't do it when you don't have structure. <laughs> yes. Oh, There's that good. was why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, gentlemen. Um. That's all we got time for, so I guess until next time.